Kiefer. Eric, would you like to clink that whiskey with mine and wish me a Merry Christmas? Merry Christmas. Oh, hear that ring. That was a beautiful, mm. beautiful clink. Ah, uh, pardon the moment of silence while we enjoy our whiskey. Oh my God. I need that so bad. Mm. I actually have been drinking more whiskey this season than I have in quite a while. Like, whiskey's kind of a cold weather drink, am I right? For, for me, it is anyways. Although I drink a lot in the summer. <laughs> I drink a lot all the time. In the summertime when it's hot, when the weather is fine, when you can stretch right up and touch the sky. Is that a song? It is actually a song. That is fucking Three Dog Night. Three Dog no, Night? No, it's not Three Dog Night. Who is that? It's a guy that looks exactly like me. It's <laughs> No, okay. Sorry to completely derail us immediately. I have to figure out who... In the, is it, it's a, uh, Eddie Vedder? in the summertime when the weather is hot, you can stretch right up and touch the sky. When the weather is fine, you got women, you got women on your mind. Do, 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 do. Have a drink, have a drive. Disclaimer, don't do that. Yeah, don't Go do out that. and see what you can find. It's like an old like 70s song. And she <laughs> I know that song. I know you do. I know I do too. Welcome to the film buzz. Welcome to the film buzz, Eric. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Clink again. Kiefer, I can't think of a better way to ignore our friends and loved ones than uh, recording a podcast in a room full of people we absolutely don't care about. No, fuck it. I'm so sick of well-wishers and 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 well and good tidings and presents and people and and everyone else here. Yeah, everyone. Let's just ignore them for like two hours. That sounds great. You want to bitch about the industry for a while? Yes. Sounds good. You can email us podcast at thefilmbuzz.com or on Twitter at thefilmbuzz. We can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Facebook, Twitter, Google Music, Kiefer. Mongo Jerry. Mongo Jerry? That's the band I couldn't think of a second ago when I was trying to say like Emerson Lake and Palmer or whoever the fuck that I was saying. Or uh, I have never heard of the, Mongo Jerry. No, but you have heard that song in the summertime, right? Yeah. In the summertime when the weather is hot. Reason that one pops into mind is Sherry and I were stuck in a cabin on a vacation um, a couple years ago. And it was like the end of a day of dr like drinking and barbecuing all day and like hanging out in a river. So we're just sitting there on the couch, just like not moving. Sounds glorious. Watching whatever garbage is on satellite television. And we come across a music video for the song In the Summertime by Mungo Jerry as part of like an oldies radio collection thing. I immediately love that hair. It is the best hair. But watch this video a little bit and see if you see anything that looks a little bit familiar perhaps. That mustache. So we're watching the video for Mungo Jerry's oh in the summertime. It's four dudes in the 70s looking like four dudes in the 70s. <laughs> and there's a keyboard Wait player. A Wait a minute. Are you seeing what I'm seeing there? Did you just see that? It'll come back around to him yeah, in a second like a, again. The guy in the pink scarf looks a little bit like that dude from Flight of the Concord. Yeah, Kiefer, that is you. <laughs> it's that me. That is fucking you in the it's past. It's me. The past, future, present. I, what the so when we're sitting here watching this music video for Mungo Jerry's in the fucking summertime with one with a dude blowing in the glass jug and a dude <laughs> planking away on an electric piano who looks shockingly like me. Even more like you in fisheye lens. Even more so, yes. That's weird. I would totally be the kind of guy to wear a salmon shirt like that. Uh, my hair is now long. My beard is now scruffy. That's like a white Lawrence Fishburne. That is like a white Lawrence Fishburne. Wasn't that weird? He's, his shit. mutton chop game is out of control. And that guy's got like the 17th century peasant boy haircut for some reason <laughs> on top of a turtleneck. He's wearing fancy boots and pinstripes. Shoes. 
Yeah, you I know. Those, I've tripped That's, over those it's shoes. It's straight up me. It's just straight up me in the 70s. I don't know what happens to me in the future. Apparently, I time travel at some point. If I ever disappear, look for me in 1976 singing Mungo Jerry's in the summertime. Well, you're right there, obviously. Yeah, all right. I don't have to look very far. Oh, let's pay attention. Let's see if I blink out a message in Morse code. <laughs> with your eyeballs. <laughs> if only I yes, knew Yes, Eric, code. with my eyeballs, not with my nipples. That'd be cool if you could blink your nipples. <laughs> They're focusing what is a lot this on this camera, like zooming in on weird parts of the body. Oh, oh it's the God, 70s, the probably, I guess. I assume it's a 70s. video ever. Isn't it really the best? <laughs> <laughs> they are like uncomfortably close to each other, too. Oh, fucking Mungo Jerry. And only one of those dudes is wearing like a oh. fishnet shirt. Yeah. The welcome, others are wearing regular shirts. Welcome to the film buzz where we talk about absolute nonsense from shit that happened from before we were born. Original 1970. There it is. Nice. Yep. Nice. Clearly I am a time traveler. <laughs> Eric, welcome to the film buzz. We've said that like <laughs> we, four times we now. We've each other many times. <laughs> we're we, trying to get us back on track. What are you drinking there? Uh, this is Oban. Where did this bottle come from? Was this one of your house bottles? Scotland. Well, yes, it came from Scotland, you arse. Yeah, it's a bottle of uh, it's a bottle of Oban, which that is was actually fucking a gift, fantastic. A gift from my lighting team. Really? So yeah, so the show I was just on reboot wrapped. That's right. Congratulations. Let's clink one more time for that one. Thank you. Wrapped yeah. on a show. Um, that was a very hard show. Like it was definitely difficult. How much can you talk about? Uh, almost nothing. <laughs> Expected. Uh, can you say what the release date is? Nope. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, spring. <laughs> There's a whole other deal that's going on that I don't think I'm even allowed. I don't, okay. I don't know if it's public yet, um, but uh, it is going worldwide in one way or another. Cool. So everyone will be able to watch it very soon. That's awesome. Um, Every person that I've mentioned this to was like, at first I say reboot, they're like, the fuck is reboot? Then I'm like, the cartoon from the 90s with the blue guy and the viruses and the computer games are like, fucking reboot? Hell yeah. Yeah. So did everyone's I, excited to see this. Did I tell you that I got fast tracked when I got a visa? For like at, at the border. Are you serious? Yeah. So the guy that I was I was uh, bringing my paperwork to was kind of like uh, you know like average has as, shitty as day. they are like they're kind of being grumpy because it's their job to be grumpy sort of and, thing and they're not supposed to be your friend exactly exactly right so uh, I come in with all my paperwork I have like forty pages worth of stuff right and he's like fucking this guy with yeah. his paperwork and this is when I had moved from Sony to Rainmaker and I was getting the new the new work visa for the new show. And um, he was going over the paperwork. Okay, yeah, kind of standard. He goes, reboot. Wait, reboot? Like with Dot and Enzo and Matrix? And Ma I was like, <laughs> yeah, that one. He's like, they're bringing it back. I said, yeah, man. It's 20 years later, but they're doing a, a revival of reboot. He's like, oh, I love that show. I'll be right back. And he, <laughs> he like ran into the back. And you know how usually sometimes they'll call you up because they have questions about uh -huh. any paperwork, whatever. And uh, main, mainframe was in the process of being acquired or an acquisition by uh, WoW Unlimited Media. So mainframe being the company that made Reboot back in the well, yeah. So mainframe was the original name. I know we've been over this before, but then it was then it was repackaged and kind of bought by an entity called Rainmaker, right. and then Rainmaker is now under the umbrella of WoW Unlimited mm -hmm, Media. Mm -hmm. So there's it's it's this weird like onion of of companies. But so there was a name change that wasn't reflected in CBSA's database, but it was on the paperwork. Oh, okay. With the new name. And so he comes up, he's like, hey, so this is a little weird. It looks kind of, you know, it's a different thing. I was like, oh yeah, they had an acquisition or a merger or whatever. He goes, oh, okay, no problem. I'll take care of it. He's like, <laughs> when he does like, a border guard ever tell you, no problem, I'll take care of it. And he like waved his hand, like, don't worry, go sit down. I was like, dude, this is awesome. <laughs> That's great. It was like the golden ticket. 
I was at Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Anyway. Oh, that's so great. No, I was it, the the doors that opened were just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, twenty episodes mm-hmm. in something like ten months. Damn, my portion of it anyway. It had been running for about a year before that. Um, but yeah, uh, so when the show was over, uh, my team found out that I like whiskey, and um, specifically, my favorite is Oban. And I told somebody. And uh, one day, like, it was the end of the show. We all went out to lunch, and they surprised me with a bottle of Oban and some baby books. That's fantastic. Baby books are not for me. They can use as coasters, though. They're nice and thick, made of cardboard. They'll absorb a lot of fluids. Actually, we got some that are made out of beeswax. They're, like, indestructible to babies. Huh. They can chew on them, like, crumple them up, whatever. That's kind of awesome. Yeah, it's great. Hmm. It's amazing. Neat. I feel like everything should be made out of that. Baby facts. Baby facts? Baby facts. Wax made out of babies. Let's move along. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little bit weird. And uh, yeah, and I'm drinking. And you're drinking Balvini. Balvini, which is, I think, the Balvini. They get uh, mad when you don't say the or the. The Balvini. Triple cask. 12 year. Then I'm going to refer to it as duh Balvini. It's good stuff. Kind of like duh bears. Duh bears. It is good stuff. Oh my God. Yeah, I actually just recently discovered Japanese whiskey. No, no wait a minute. Go oh, back sorry. To the bears. To duh bears. Duh bears. Duh bears. Duh bears. SNL skits. Yes. From the 80s. Sure. Everything was about Mike Ditka, and everybody was dressed like Mike Ditka. Do you remember seeing these? I, 80s and 90s? I'm, I, I've seen clips of it only because, I was never an SNL fan, but I saw clips of this sketch on SNL you're talking about because my high school's intramural softball team, the one that I captained, was called Dub Bears. <laughs> softball team? Specifically, Dub Bears. I bet, yeah. I bet you, if Mike Ditka were to coach a Little League <laughs> softball team, he'd win the World Series. What, what what might he call this fictional and supposed softball team? Dub Bears. Dub Bears. It's like a big fat guy, right? Doing yeah. it. In, 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 All of and them. he's just raving about sports. Oh, Dub Bears. Yeah. Who would win in a game of Mike Ditka versus a team of tiny Mike Dickas? Oh, shit. That's a tough one. That's like the whole horse and a thousand ducks thing, right? Trick question. Mike Ditka. <laughs> and they're always grilling something. But this is completely Chicago, like, to is it, is it a whole series of, of skits? Oh, yeah, there's a oh, bunch yeah. of them. No, I was never in a... Farley was in a few. Yeah, I I, I guess I had... I must have had cable at this time. Because I remember, like, seeing clips of it on, like, early internet of, like, Chris Farley and, yeah. um, you know, Martin Lawrence. I think John Goodman makes a, an appearance at one point. Tom Hanks screwing around in early 90s SNL, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Martin Lawrence, and actually, uh, Martin Lawrence made me think of Steve Martin, too, who I loved fucking seeing. Oh, Steve Martin. <laughs> My favorite. Dan Aykroyd with the Bassomatic. That, that, ki- that bass. kind of rings a bell. Yeah. There was, he did the, the Bassomatic sketch where he just pulverized a real bass and then drank it. It was disgusting. God. Sorry. Steve Martin. <laughs> oh, Christ. Some of the best comics, like in the 70s and 80s. God. I mean, times. a lot of people say that, like, Late 80s, early 90s SNL was like the pinnacle of improv and sketch comedy, at least on TV. I think it really was. I mean, it's getting better, but I don't I don't find myself watching it I, anymore. I just see the clips on YouTube. Yeah, I, I guess. I don't know. I sort of fell out with that. Improv is tough to watch for me, improv stuff. And especially stuff like that that's kind of like half improv, half, yeah. half pre-written sort of stuff. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I love it. I respect it a lot as an art form, but I don't always enjoy watching it. What about the one when uh, Andy Kaufman pretended to not... He like he gets up he gets up there and he just stops talking. Like, I didn't, didn't see tell, that. He didn't tell the cast that he was going to do this. 
But he's just like, ah, my heart's not in it tonight, guys. And he just shuts up. And he just and stays completely there. Completely shut down in the middle of a skit. And uh, um, Kramer, who's the guy? Uh, Michael. Uh, is it Michael? Mm, Richards. Michael Richards. Michael Richards. Thank you. Michael Richards was on SNL that time, and he just walked off stage, grabbed the cue cards from the guy, like the the PA off stage, and threw the cue cards on the table. <laughs> And then like, why, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Wait, he did that while Andy Kaufman was just like doing nothing? Shutting down, yeah. <laughs> and the thing was, Wait, Andy okay. Kaufman was doing a bit. He was just fucking around. With the cast. And Michael Richards was just pissed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, <sighs> Kiefer. Eric. I got you something. Did you get me something? Because it's Christmas. You didn't have to. That's very sweet of you. Yeah. Remember, like- remember last year when I told you that I got you a gift, but it actually didn't arrive and you never got it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, Oh, is it here? Is it there? It finally arrived. Oh wow. It actually exists. Actually half of it arrived. Oh my God. It's so long. I mean, how am I going to fit this whole thing inside of me? I know. <laughs> and I'm thinking that maybe by next year, the other half will arrive. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, this is just one half of it. It's that's only half fantastic. of it. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Well, thank you, dude. That's very, that's, yeah. that's very nice of you. Yeah. Here, I got you something too. Oh yeah? And I don't know if you, it's it's nothing quite as grandiose as that. What do we? It's a, a jar of, of bull semen. Yes, but not any bull semen. Okay. This is actually bull semen that was harvest, harvested by hand. Of I'm course. not shitting you. Harvested by hand. It says organic. Of course it's organic. It's bull semen. Where else are you going to eat that? I saw that. I know. They they mark up the price. It's out on Granville Island in the little farmer's market, the, the whole organic section. Organic bull semen. And I asked the guy, like, what are kind of other kind of bull semen is there? He's like, well, there's bull semen. It's all full of hormones and growth shit and stuff like that. And, you know. You don't want that. Apparently, coriander's a big thing they put in there, coriander. too. And that really ruins the taste of the bull semen. I like it in beer, but probably not in my bull semen. Anyway, this bull semen, harvested by hand by John Lithgow from a bull that was fed by hand from birth by John Cleese. Can you believe that? No. <laughs> Not even one bit of it. Well, that's that's what the guy told me. That's why he charged me 300 Canadian dollars for that. That's jar a lot of, of money. Semen. That's like 45 US dollars. At least. Yeah. That's so much. Anyways, Merry Christmas. Merry I know how much you love John Lithgow, John Cleese and Bull Seaman. Best day of my life. <laughs> Kiefer, I uh I did get you a present for Christmas as well. Oh, thank you. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say because boy, this thing is wrapped awfully tight. Okay, the first thing I see here is a molar, and there's something below it. Keep going, keep going. A lump of human hair? And what? Wait, is there? Hold on. There's more inside of this. A quarter? I. Is this some kind of tooth fairy thing? Well, it's the remains of the Tooth Fairy. You finally killed the Tooth Fairy? Yes. Oh my god. I know you've been trying for ages. Oh my god. And that bitch ripped you off. This is the quarter that she should have given me? Yes. Oh my god, I was right all these years. I was right, Eric. Oh my, this is the best thing anyone could have ever done for me. All these years of, you know, sitting up at night and stalking children in their rooms and buying teeth on the black market. I... We've lived our own version of Memento this like 10 years we've known each other. So finally you can have closure. That's a different podcast, by the way, for that. Look out, look for the tooth buzz on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google music, iCloud, Facebook, and the dental dam cast. Kiefer, I, I always enjoy exchanging gifts with you around this time of year. Cause you always know the best thing to get me. It's just awesome. Well, the great thing about gifts is 
Gifts not only teach the receiver what the giver thinks about them, but a really good gift can teach the receiver something about themselves. I don't know if you're incredibly wise or if I've just wandered into a radio shack. I think it's mostly the liquor. Probably. I think, well, this this liquor is, uh, what is this, 12-year Oban that I'm drinking that I'm just furious? 14? 14 14-year Oban that I'm furiously pounding down from your liquor shelf. Your congratulatory liquor, no less. So it better be wise, right? It is damn good Oban. Eric, you ready to talk about some Christmas shit? I think we We've should. We've been talking about, well, aside from gift openings and weird revelations and strange substances, We've been rambling on for quite a long time without talking about Christmas. Have you had your Christmas movie watching sessions yet? Um, I have only one movie on my Christmas watching list. What's and that? And it is always and forever will be Die Hard. That's a good one. I, you can't beat that. We waxed poetic about that last year. Fucking hell, it's a good movie. Yeah. Actually, I lied. That plus uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. The original Rankin Bass. Like 1950-something. Yeah, the animated one? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. The claymation, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did but, I ever actually show you the animated one that I like the most? Uh, Frosty versus the Snow. Santa versus the Snowman. Wait, they're like in competition? Or like a battle to the death? That sounds bad. That doesn't sound very Christmassy. Hmm. Well, what is Christmas about than hating people for not giving you everything you want? That's terrible. Right? That is not Christmas. Yet accurate? No. Like maybe Futurama's version of Christmas or Xmas. Oh, right. I forgot they had their own weird one. Yeah. Where Santa has like toe missiles. <laughs> oh, well, that's actually quite similar to what I'm talking about. So Santa versus the Snowman is this weird animated short that just showed up on TV. God, it, it was like, I don't know, like around 2000, maybe 2001 or 2002, sometime like that. I remember seeing it on TV around then. Okay. It was one of those weird 30 minute animated shorts that would just sort of show up out of nowhere for a holiday and then disappear back into the myths. Recede into the darkness. Because there was no internet and there was no way to actually follow up in these studios. There was oh. no, there was no avenue by which to learn that. Oh, I guess early 2000s there was. was. like Adult Swim era kind of, well, I mean, it's still around, but like something would show up on Adult Swim uh, and then disappear again. It was before like Squidbillies. When did Adult Swim actually start? I remember Adult Swim starting in like 2005. So close, actually. Yeah. Because if I'm thinking this correctly, I'm thinking like early 2000s. No, Santa versus the Snowman was this weird, like, it's an animated short, like a 30 minute animated short that just showed up on TV randomly, only around Christmas time, about a snowman who had been living alone in a cave in the North Pole his entire life. Okay. And he never got presents from Santa because Santa didn't know he existed. Aww. And because he was a snowman and not actually alive, he didn't technically have a soul. Ouch. Which is, you know, the real moral of the story. Snowmen don't have souls. <laughs> Until you put a hat on them. Yes, that's very true. And then they have souls and a hunger for blood. <laughs> I knew a guy in junior high who drew cartoons of murderous snowmen. Like snowmen with big old meat cleavers and spears and <laughs> they were like very angry and they had fangs. <laughs> it was some really fucked up shit. Yeah. This isn't quite that level. I mean, here's here's an example of some of the graphics you can expect out of Santa versus the snowman. Like that's like a, a that's like a car insurance commercial level like CG. Right, nowadays. But back in the day, like from whatever company it was that actually produced this thing, it was quite impressive. Like all of a sudden- Geico. Yeah, probably Geico. Um, oh my God, it was fucking made by Steve Odekirk and produced by O Entertainment. Steve Odekirk? Yeah, Steve Odekirk. Oh my God. Yeah. You know who Steve Odekirk is? Yeah, he does all the thumb movies. <laughs> he does all the thumb movies, yes. Thumb, thumb Wars and God Thumb. And actually he did Kung Pao Enter the Fist too, that ridiculous yeah, spoof on, on action it. movies. That's fantastic. Oh, I'm so glad you know that. He did. did 
Did you ever see God Thumb? Oh. Having seen Godfather, you now have to watch God Thumb. The the thumb puppet adaptation of uh of, of the Godfather. Yeah. God, which where, ones did I see? Where the thumb Corleone has thumb a taste Corleone. for kittens. Mm, let's get some kittens. He's always petting a kitten and then like <laughs> licking his lips. But is he petting it with his face because he's a thumb? He, <laughs> no. Oh, no, he okay. has, they have hands, but they're like oh, these yeah. little You should watch it, Kiefer. It's really, it's fucked up in a whole anyway. New level. So yeah, so Steve Odekirk also did a short in 2002, right before he started doing Jimmy Neutron, called Santa versus the Snowman, where a, a mute snowman gets angry at Santa for not delivering him presents on Christmas. Okay, I was never gonna watch this, but then when you told me it was Steve Odekirk, now I'm definitely gonna watch. I didn't this. even know it was Steve Odekirk till this absolute second. No, but that 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 name carries weight. Like yeah, I'm gonna watch this. No, now. any kid who had some fun time in the 90s knows Steve Odekirk. Oh, fucking Jimmy Neutron, come on, dude. I didn't see that one. You never saw Jimmy Neutron? No. Oh, it was good. It was goofy. It was actually made by, I want to say DNA Steve Entertainment. Oderker. Well, yeah, it was Steve Oderkirk. He was the director, producer, whatever. It's made by um, a company in Dallas, as I recall, actually. There's a lot of those guys when I was working there still hanging around. From like Real Effects? Yeah, when I was at Real Effects. Yeah. Oh, he did Barnyard too in 2006. That's unfortunate. <laughs> it sounds familiar. And also Cowboys and Aliens. I saw that one. Wait, the one with Harrison Ford? He did that? Yeah, and uh, huh. wait, wait. Steve Odekirk? Yeah, Steve Odekirk. What did he do he on it? Directed? I don't know if he directed it. He might have been. He was on Based set. on this, on a screen story, the latter two, uh, the, the, the screenplay. Oh, no, he wrote the original story. Sorry, yeah. He wrote the original story that was then adapted into a script. That's kind of awesome. Yeah, kind of makes me not still want to see that movie because it looks dumb as fuck. It is kind of dumb as fuck. Have you seen it? I did. In the theater. I paid money for it. That is one of those movies I think I would have to see in the theater. It was entertaining enough. So imagine the Wild West, right? That just so happens to... Do you mean the wiki wiki wild wild west? Not that wild west. Oh, wait. Not the Will Smith wild west. Oh. Which, what movie was that? Was it just wild 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 west? Wild wild west, yeah. Not a great movie. (laughs) Not Will Smith's best. So what are you talking about the actual Wild West? But they did get him to do a dance number at the end, just like Men in Black. Sell them CDs, kids. Imagine the Wild West, but also throw aliens into it. Like, if we were to encounter an alien species today, we would have a very specific or a very certain predictable reaction, right, to that kind of technology. Yes, I guess. I, I don't know about predictable, but yes, sure. But I mean, like, I guess we have we have a concept of like technology beyond ours. Like, yes, we we see cell phones, we could understand hyperphones. We see virtual reality, we could understand like crazier shit, right? Yeah, okay, like sure. a holodeck right. or something. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, so we would be a little bit more able to digest futuristic technology. Mm-hmm. Cowboys from the you know early 1800s, how would they react? Mm-hmm. Right. That's kind of the that's the baseline for cowboys and aliens is it really just to be cowboys looking at spaceships and going like hell and tarnation is that oh no they actually like blow shit up well like, yeah like daniel craig gets one of their weapons and starts killing things <laughs> awesome like it's kind of <laughs> yeah and harrison ford is there but he's does eh. it cross the robot jocks threshold what is the robot jocks remember that that terrible action movie i told you about robot jocks from like the oh. 80s <laughs> Where the, I still haven't watched. where the USSR is fighting against the American allied powers in giant robot. Ba- you don't, you don't really need to watch robot jocks. I'm just, I feel like I do. Okay. 
But well, anyway, no, it is I, Christmas uh, break and we are planning on having a bad movie night. When? Soon. Are we going to watch The Room? We might watch The Room because Sherry hasn't seen it yet. Neither has Janae. Did you know just recently, I think like in the, in the last two days or three days or something like that, it was announced that The Room is getting a nationwide theater release? Seriously. I think it's I think it's in the US, maybe worldwide, but a wide theater release or re-release of The Room. Now, is this in response to The Disaster Artist by James yes, Franco? Absolutely. That's it's, interesting. It's the only reason I could think of. I mean, on the one hand, I feel weird about going to see a movie to give money to a terrible filmmaker. Let's back up because sure. we, we criticized ourselves for this recently. The Room by Tommy Wiseau came out when? Ooh, good question. It's fairly recent. The Room, 2003, drama slash dramedy. Okay. Arguably the worst movie ever made. Good Lord. Even worse than Plan 9 from Outer Space, which I saw. It, yeah, Plan 9 is... Not great. It is excruciatingly boring. There are so many... I think talking that's, scenes. That's probably its, its worst sin, is that it's boring. I think so, because it does try to tell an interesting story. It's just they didn't try to tell an interesting story. <laughs> they didn't try to do anything. They also used the same set over and over again and just ran through it from different directions. Oh, and anyway. the, day, the day for night shots? Or yeah. night for day, I mean? And the, yeah. and the, and the cemetery <clears throat> where they knock over a tombstone? Oh, yeah. Hilarious. Yep. No, Anyways. This, the room is worse than that. So up until the room existed, Plan 9 from Outer Space was regarded as the worst movie ever made. Now it's The Room by mm-hmm. Tommy Wiseau. Which is just, it it crosses into the threshold of amazingly bad just for how much sheer effort was put into it. When you watch this movie, you realize that someone who really gave a shit about this movie was doing it. Plan 9 from Outer Space, like, that was made by Hollywood studio execs. Some nerd probably had the idea. I don't know the backstory. Maybe we'll look it up in a second. Some nerd probably had the idea. He got the funding to make it. It was made by someone who really didn't give a shit about making an interesting sci-fi movie. Yeah. The Room, by contrast, was made about someone who cared perhaps a bit too much. Tommy Wiseau felt that this movie had to be made. That's the best thing I love about his interviews. He's like, this, in his non-accent, this is a movie that had to have been made. It was very important. This is a message. He put up, was it $4 million of his own money? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So... That movie's getting a, uh, a theater release, which I am totally going to. Even if yeah. I have to go into the States. Yeah. I'm going. Let's go see that. It would be fantastic to go see it. Do you know it actually has a, a theater um, experience, sort of like going to watch Rocky Horror Picture Show? Oh, yeah. I heard where, about that. Where when, the clock, when they show the clock that has the exact same time on the wall across multiple scenes, you're supposed <laughs> to like, I don't know, bang trash can lids together or something. It's some nonsense like that. I know somebody tried doing that. Like there was this whole push... Uh, for that during um, Snakes on a Plane. People were bringing rattles to a theater. Really? I watched Snakes on a Plane in a theater three times. I paid money for that. Did you really? Oh, yeah. It was... I don't regret it. I just wish I was a little bit more drunk that third time. Because that was hard. I watched it once once in college in a dorm room and was really high. (laughs) Okay, so going back, we were talking about Steve Odekirk's Santa versus the Snowman. Right. Well, just because you brought up um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and that was Santa versus the Snowman is my, like, idyllic childhood animated cartoon series. Really? 
Well, yeah, it was kind of like, it was like the Grinch movies or not the, not the movies, but like, remember the Grinch Doctor, specials? The Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss, like the Grinch, when the Grinch sold Christmas. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And there was a Halloween one too, which I cannot think of the name of off the top of I, my head. I did not know that. Yeah, there was a Halloween one. Um, there was a couple of those and they were always shown on holidays on CBS or ABC or whatever. It was like a kid's special kind of thing. Okay. There were the sort of shows that we you could never find anywhere outside of Christmas because at that point in time, you know, like late nineties personal, like home video players had just kind of started to reach a peak in the market. Yeah. Granted, I also grew up in Montana. We didn't have a Walmart till like 2004. So that sort of sets the tone for that one. 10 to 15 years behind everything. Right. It was just one of those things that I always associated as being like specifically a Christmas thing because it was the first, one of the first CG animated shorts I'd ever seen, you okay. know, obviously reboot and uh starship troopers, roughneck chronicles, notwithstanding oh. those were actual series. Um, Oh man, I forgot about that one. It was the first CG animated short that I ever saw appear that I didn't know who it was attached to, who it was done by. I mean, I could have watched the credits, but I was kind of a dumb kid. And it was just a special random Christmas thing. Like every year for a couple of years, be like, oh, it's Christmas time. We can catch Santa versus the snowman on TV. So it's just nice. a little, little Christmas memory. I'm surprised I've never heard of this before. It's I'm adorable. It. It's well, okay. It's probably quite shit <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. I mean, Jimmy Neutron gets a pass because it was kind of quirky and dumb and it's worth seeing just to see where CG animation actually really kind of got its roots in Okay, and seeing what can be done with no budget and no technology and a whole lot of gumption. What other Christmas movies or holiday movies would you say are kind of in your top, let's say top five? Well, I just had my, my, favorite Christmas movie sort of reinforced this year. Mm -hmm. Sherry and I sat down to watch a Christmas movie earlier this week when we were wrapping up Christmas presents. And we had an option of a few things that were available between like Netflix and my iTunes collection. Um, so we flipped a coin. Heads was going to be Die Hard. Huh. Tails was going to be Love Actually. Ugh. And we flipped Love Actually. No. And I forgot how much I absolutely fucking love that movie. Really? I love that movie. Really? I saw it for the first time when I was like, Keeper. I don't know, in my 20s. It must have been because it came Keeper. out in 2003. Keeper. Eric. We can't be friends. It's got Rowan Atkinson. But we can't be friends. It's got Bill Nighy. No, we can't be it's friends It's got Hugh anymore. Grant. No, get out of my house. It's Love got, Actually? Seriously? Love Actually? It's got fucking Alan Rickman and Kira Knightley with like the shapeliest butt in the jeans. <laughs> and uh, what's his name from The Walking Dead is in it. Who's yeah. in it? Andrew Lincoln. Oh fuck! Who plays Rick Grimes? On Holy shit! Dead. I knew he looked. He looks so much younger. He's the, well, he was, but he's I mean, the dude yeah, with, fifteen years. But but they age him. They must age him up a little bit for Walking Dead. Well, he grows a beard and they throw mud and blood on him, like a huge wiry white beard too. Yeah. Oh my god! I didn't even put together that was uh, that yeah, Andrew Lincoln. He's the dude Fucking that stands Rick. outside Kira Knightley's door after she's already married and professes his love with cue cards or whatever. Yes. That movie is a whole bunch of shitty people. Not all shitty people. Half of them are shitty people. Well, some of them are shitty people. Alan Rickman's character is this shitty person. He He's a compromised man who does something shitty, yes. He's, Andrew Lincoln is also a shitty person. Yeah. 
but could you ever imagine yourself being in that sort of situation? Andrew Lincoln's situa situation is that his best friend is getting married to a woman that he is absolutely head over heels in love with and he just can't reconcile. Yeah, and, and he should fucking deal with it. He does. He, he does deal with it. Well, he stuffs it down and he tries to ignore it and he just, he, he gets through days as best he can. He goes to their wedding and keeps a smile on his face and it's only when she, Kira Knightley, comes banging on his door trying to figure out why he won't be friends with her that he, the truth finally comes out. It's and, when, well, it's when she watches their uh, wedding video and it's nothing but footage of her. Have you never? He, he shot it. Yeah. Right. He yeah. shot the video and he's spending the whole night filming her. It's actually a very, it's a very sweet scene. Like, uh, well, I love the fact that of the stories in Love Actually. So for those who've never seen the movie, Love Actually, 2003 British movie starring Colin Firth, Kieran Knightley, Liam Neeson, uh, Alan Rickman, Bill Nighy, Rowan F fucking Atkinson, who plays the best damn character who I love watching do his thing. It's, and Bilbo. No, Frodo. And, and Martin Freeman. Yeah. Uh, Frodo. Frodo. Yes. It's a, it's an, it's an anthologic, anthologic, anthologic type story where they actually show the tale of like eight different characters, eight different main storylines happening at the same time to a group of people who I, who I believe know each other loosely about them trying to find love or losing love or dealing with love or dealing with life around Christmas. It's this whole swath of different stories to basically exploring love from a whole bunch of different angles. And I kind of love the fact that not every story has a happy ending and not every story shows characters being perfect. Okay, that is fair. There's one story that's actually kind of tough to watch and it's a woman, I don't remember if I know her, is that maybe Emma Thompson? I don't know her name. She's the redhead who works for a design firm who is madly, desperately head over heels in love with one of the drafting guys or whatever, who this tall, swanky looking European guy who's, who's beautiful, I would let him have me. <laughs> and her boss, Alan Rickman, notices and says, are you going to do anything about the, that situation this year? And she's all like, mm, I don't know. So she, you see her flirting with him, you see her conversing with him, and then it comes out that she has a brother who is mentally handicapped, who mm. has some awful form of dementia. He's... The way that it's sort of explained, they don't go into a whole lot of detail, but it sounds like his mind started to decline and then their parents passed away. So she's the only person left taking care of this person that she knew and loved. who was now mostly gone about 90% of the time. Okay. And spoiler alert for Love Actually in 2003, <laughs> when the movie when the movie ends, the, the end of their little section of scenes is she finally gets him back to her apartment and her brother calls as he does, he's constantly pestering her on the phone. And she kind of backs away from sleeping with this guy because she feels her responsibility to her brother is too great. I do remember that. And I don't like it because it's bullshit. He was a very understanding guy. She could have made, he could have made it work. She could have made it work, but instead she chose to just go with her family. That's not admirable. I think she was an idiot. <laughs> okay. But it's told very well. And sometimes good stories don't have happy endings. I do remember that part very briefly. I'm trying to, it wasn't Emma Thompson, but I'm, Emma Thompson was married to, Oh, Rick, to Alan Rickman. Alan of Rickman. course. Yeah. I can't remember her name. Uh, I will say though, probably my favorite character in like, if I, if I could say that the one saving grace from that movie for me is Bill Nye. Oh, Bill Nye as the, as the aging rock star trying to save like some semblance of a, a career or whatever by doing his holiday album. Yeah. And he says he's going to do like if, if his, 
Christmas album hits number one in the charts, he'll do his next performance totally naked. <laughs> naked on BBC One, yeah. Yeah, and so there he is, like, he does it, and he's just nude with a guitar. I love that. It's, I mean, and the thing is, it totally fits, Oh, right? Bill Nye him. did the most amazing job as that role. He was incredible. Yeah. He's this crazy crackpot the entire time. And in the end, his resolution, him finding love, is realizing that, you know, n- no number of, of drunk topless sluts at rock and roll parties, you know, with lines of cocaine down their shoulders can compare to the friendship he's garnered with his his manager. His manager, like, like 20 years or something? Something crazy like that. Yeah, that is actually kind of sweet. It, it is. See, well, that's he, the thing. He, it's... You're turning me on this. Keeper. It's a difficult movie. It's done so well. And the I don't like it. So great. I was so mad at that movie. I really was. I was Wh- so mad. What had you mo- mad the most? Uh, Alan Rickman and. Um, oh, and, yeah. Andrew Lincoln. Yeah. Characters. Andrew. Uh, sorry. Uh, uh, Alan Rickman's story is a great example of that. His story is that around Christmas time, he buys a gift for, for his hot office secretary. Who's been flirting ruthlessly with him for what probably has been at least a year in the yeah. context of the story. Yeah. And his wife finds out about it and she confronts him and basically it's like, you fucking asshole. You yeah. compromised me and our family and I'll never trust you again. And the end of his story is he's an asshole and feels like shit. And I think he's getting a divorce. Oh God. Well, they show at the end. <laughs> yeah. They show at the very end. They're still together. They're trading off the kids though. Uh, oh, I thought he was coming back from a business trip. I think he had moved out. It's, I, I don't know. It's not terribly clear. It's not entirely clear, but they do, they do show at the end that they are remaining civil. I, I don't know, given, um, God, what was her name? Emma Thompson. You, you, Emma Thompson, thank you. Given Emma Thompson's character, she kept everything away from the kids. When she figured yeah. it out, the night she figured it out, she went and cried in her room by herself and then cleaned up to go present herself for the kids. She's a badass. Yeah. Oh my God, she was so good. Yeah. See, that's the thing. It's so well acted and so well written. So like, yes, they're describing a scene that is terrible and heartbreaking and awful. And you just want to slap Alan Rickman across the face because the secretary wasn't even that hot, but it's done so well. <laughs> it's it's just masterfully created. So, you know, what's funny is I think uh, this, this is a perfect example of how impressions are made when a person watches a film largely because of where they are in their lives when they see that film. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. When I saw Love Actually... I think, pretty sure, I was going through an awful breakup. Uh, yeah. And so the people that were really shitty are the only ones I remember from that movie. Yeah, that will that, do it. That and the kid who like learned how to play drums and Liam Neeson's the dad. Oh, right, right? yeah. Whatever. Like, that was kind of sweet. Yeah, that was. And Hugh Grant was kind of cool as prime minister. Mm-hmm. But other than that- Even I, though his story was not much more than him flirting with his cute secretary. And, and telling off uh, Billy, Billy Bob, Bob Thornton as as a great president of the United States, by the way. I don't know if he'd be that great, but oh, he no, no, did no. a really I, good job. He did a really good job. <laughs> no, no. He did a really good job of being a uh, an asshole. Yeah, we don't need a Reagan repeat. I'm saying he did a very good job of portraying a person who was <laughs> drunk with power. Yeah, and, and, he, and hitting on secretaries. And even though their confrontation scene at the, at the press junket made probably not a whole lot of sense, and wouldn't have gone down that way necessarily. It wouldn't have made any sense to anyone on the other side of the story. Like if you hadn't seen the backstory of it. Yeah. Right. It wouldn't have made any. Yeah. It anyway. was it was totally just for fluff. But oh, it's so pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. No. Okay. So you, you're kind of winning me over. All it's right. got It's got some merits to it. Yeah. All right. Uh, still does not beat Die Hard in my mind. Die Hard's a pretty, top pretty fucking movie. good movie. Yeah. Do you watch it again this year yet? Uh, not yet. But it is. It is. Coming with me to the party tomorrow. Perfect. Uh, and uh, and I'm going to make everybody watch it. Awesome. Yeah. That's what's Can happening. I propose a moratorium on Home Alone 1, at least? 
because okay. we have watched uh, in between like having home alone on the on the iPad of the guy who works next to me at work. Oh god. Who sits in the desk ne- the desk next Wait, to me just with me, my eye shot. You're telling me that people around you are watching that movie? Oh yeah. Like a lot? Well, because it's Christmas. He the guy who sits <laughs> next to me watched it. Okay. And then a couple of days later, Sherry and I were at home. I think this might have been the same night as Love Actually. It may have come afterwards. Yes. We were still wrapping gifts and we sat down to what we, we put on Home Alone. Okay. And watching that movie again <laughs> in the modern era and actually sitting there and watching it while I'm wrapping gifts, especially after seeing yeah. Love Actually, especially after seeing that movie. Mm-hmm. And then watching a movie where the whole shtick is that a kid puts his hands on his face and screams a bunch. Uh, he has like four or five shots where he just stops and goes right into the camera. It was really and that's funny. all he does. I was looking at IMDb and there's one page. Yeah, there it is. There's a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my IMDb is pages for uh, well, another show that I wanted to talk. But yeah, that's like the quintessential, quintessential, quintessential it's, Christmas it's movie. It's Quinestual. Quinestual? No. I don't think that's right. That's not right. Um, no, uh, sure. Moratorium on Home Alone. Totally fine. Okay. I actually- Home Alone 2, Lost in New York? Okay. Uh, Home Alone 3, get that no. shit out of here. Absolutely not. Get that shit out of here. No. Garbage. It's like going from What's karate- next? The next karate- You were going to go there too. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We are like one brain. Homie high five. Oh. Yeah. So there was Karate Kid, and then Karate Kid 2. And then, like, forever later, Karate Kid 3 with Hilary Swank. Not a bad movie, but not a Karate Kid movie. I saw it in the theaters. When did that come out? It must it have like been- 15 years later. It was crazy late. Was it the, Okay, wait, hold on, because that must have been, like, early 90s. And then- Hold yes, on, Karate Kid yes. 3, 1989. What, really? Wait, no, but Karate- I'm sorry, Karate Kid Part 3 still had, um- uh, uh, Ralph Macchio. Oh, Ra- I'm Macchio. Thinking, oh yeah. no, I'm thinking the next karate. The kid. next karate. I'm sorry, I got that backwards. The, no, I the was next thinking, Karate Kid. I said three. I, th- I guess it's number four. I guess so. And then there was Karate Kid later with um, Jackie Chan and, and uh, uh, Will Smith's kid. It wasn't J- Jaden. It wasn't. Smith? Was it Jaden Smith? Yeah, I think so. Does he have a younger son? I feel like I guess that came out a while ago. So that must have been Jaden yeah. Smith. Yeah. I did not see that when I heard it was terrible. Next Karate Kid was 1994. It wasn't actually that much longer because uh, Karate Kid 3 was in 1989 and Next Karate Kid was in 1994. So what about Karate Kid 1 though? That is a good question. That Between must have been earlier. Between 1 and 4. So that was like 1994. Karate Kid was 1984, so 10 years. Okay, so yeah. I'm not- That's not I'm terrible. Not crazy. I Okay, I saw it in the theaters. <laughs> You've seen it more recently? Uh, Probably, yeah. <laughs> I mean- Define recently. More recently than 1994? Yes. I saw it within the last 15 years. Give me your download on that one. Um. Okay, so my take on the next Karate Kid. <laughs> what? I don't actually remember how or when I saw it. But I do remember I saw it after Karate Kid 1 and 2. I don't remember okay. if I had seen 3 by then. I don't know either. Uh, Michael Ironside. As the already like, off to a good start, playing the asshole coach, teacher, whatever. Yes. Oh, I remember that now. Yeah, did not seem very believable to me. I actually had just seen around the same time frame. I had just seen Top Gun, uh-huh. which also had Michael Ironside in it, and thought he was way better in that. Hmm. I didn't find it very believable. I thought the boy love interest, whatever 
in, in the next Karate Kid was just annoying. No, I remember nothing about it. I do remember her final fight scene. I think she throws sand in the face of the guy to beat him or something like that. This guy, Chris, Chris Conrad, Conrad was the loving. Yeah. Anyway, mm, he's a um, punk of man. Totally forgettable. Um, not my favorite. Hillary Swank has done some awesome stuff since then. So I don't want to hold her to, you know, this. I'm sure she hopes everyone forgets that it <laughs> exists. But same with Pat Morita. I saw him, Pat Maria, on a uh, ESPN3 Vegas blackjack tournament or something. It was like Celebrity Blackjack. Wait. No, no. Celebrity Texas Hold'em. And he was drunk as shit. <laughs> like bloodshot eyes. He did not speak for like an hour and a half. The only thing he would do is like he would hand signal that he was going to hit or whatever or like throw some chips down. This is, he died not too long after that, I oh think. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, it was like celebrity Texas Hold'em or something. And everyone at the table was talking and he was just sitting there drunk as fuck. And I was like, oh, sensei. That is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was great though. It was like three in the morning, ESPN ate the Ocho. Oh, which doesn't exist. Well, I'll just think about Hillary Swank instead and all of her f- future success in Beverly Hills 90210, I guess. Really? What she was, was that one where she like beat the shit out of people? Not this movie. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say. No, she like she like hits. I think she used a shoe. Like, like, she hit a guy. Yeah, she hit a guy. Um, I don't know. I'm going back to mil- oh, million dollar baby. Yeah, that one. That's right. I ne- which I never actually saw. Do you see that one? No. No. We should move on. Moving on. I heard it was good though. Actually, I did too. I heard it was really good. Mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. he directed, right? Oh, was it his movie? I think oh, he cool. directed and he was he started it. Or something. Mm, that sounds about right. That was his era. Anyway, more Christmas movies. You got any? Hmm. Nope. <laughs> Moving right along then. The Tick. The Oh, yes, you've seen this. Yes. I've been too busy. Tell me. The Give new, me details. The new The new The Tick <laughs> on on Amazon streaming, which by the way, uh I'm ashamed to admit, I just found out that I had I didn't know You I didn't had know it. you had Prime? No. Google Prime. Well, they just got Prime Video I believe season one of the Grand Tour, which I also saw on your list, which we'll, my we'll get into in a second. Holy shit. Which was about a year ago, was the first time that Canada actually had Prime Video. Okay. For those of you who don't know, all of the other expats up here, ex-Americans, not ex-Americans, <laughs> displaced Americans up here, Amazon Prime Video now actually exists. Yeah. So The Tick with Peter Serafinowicz. Which, Finowitz? I'm sorry? Peter Serafinowicz. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, wait, who was he? That wait, guy. that Who the fuck is that guy? He plays the tick. Yeah, I know he plays the tick. Who is he in Guardians of the okay, Galaxy? So do you remember? Uh, Jackass. No, he was one of the... Um, okay, so you remember that really terrible and implausible end of Guardians of the Galaxy, which we recently talked about, where they form a net of oh, spaceships yeah. around the big thing, the hammer that's going to drop or whatever the fuck it was. Oh yeah, that hot nonsense. And 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 there was that one guy from the planet, I can't remember even the name of the okay, I, planet. Okay, well, I thought he was going like an asshole lieutenant or something, but he didn't like Rocket. Like he specifically did not like Rocket. Okay, all right. And Rocket kind of hated him, but then at the end of the movie, he's like, "Oh no, don't die." It was, it was like Ted or Todd or someone with a T. Um anyway, Peter Serafinowicz 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 uh, plays the tick and he's a really good version hmm. of the tick interesting like, um uh patrick warburton in the um or was it 90s 90s early 2000s the the fox version yeah, of the tick fox version which of i don't think tick. i ever actually saw that one was really funny yeah 
And I know somebody who dated somebody who was in HR at Fox who let them see the paperwork. This is really like, I shouldn't even be, but let them see the paperwork for the tick. Patrick Warburton got 70 grand per episode. Holy shit. To grease up and get inside that blue suit. <laughs> Pretty it, awesome. It was a giant, obnoxious looking suit. Yeah. And it's still giant, blue, and obnoxious in this new version, but it actually, it's, I mean, it's funny. Well, it's part of the character. I mean, yeah. part of the yeah. shtick of the tick, the tick shtick, if you will, is that shtick. he has to get into this giant, obnoxious costume, and his his cohort, Arthur, is a moth. Yes. And all the characters are ridiculous, and his catchphrase is spoon. Spoon! Spoon! Okay, so this version, the uh, Amazon Prime version, not quite the same. Oh, it does Okay. So far, I've not gotten terribly far into it. I think I've seen five episodes. Um, by the way, the big bad guy, Jackie Earl Haley. Do you know who that is? I do not. I'm looking at a picture. What is he? Jackie Earl Haley was Rorschach. No shit. In the Watchmen. Oh, I see it now. Okay, yeah. Now he I see him. He plays the terror and he does a fucking amazing job. Oh my God. He's such a weirdly intense guy. I want to be this man. <laughs> Watchmen. When he goes, he's thrown in jail. You don't seem to understand. I'm not, I'm not locked, locked in, in here, here with you. you. You're locked in here with me. It's the best line. And then he breaks a guy's arm. It's fucking Oh my amazing. God. And his scene at the end, his death scene. Kill me. Far better than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Fuck. Kill me. Kill me now. <laughs> Do it now. Yeah. Far better than Arnold Schwarzenegger in uh, uh, Predator 1. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Predator 1. Anyway, yeah, so uh, Jackie Earl Haley plays the Terror, which is the the main bad guy mm -hmm. in the tick. And Arthur, the, the show actually centers around Arthur. Oh, no he, shit. He is, he is like, I don't want to say the narrator, but he's like the oh, focus of the show. Okay, interesting. Because as a kid, Arthur witnessed the murder of his father and his idols, uh, the Flag Five, I think is what they're called. But it's like this super. Okay, so oh, this this is a universe where superheroes are like they've always the norm. they've, they've existed. Yeah, they've existed for like a hundred years. Okay, and so it's like normal that superheroes are there. And so there's this. I think it's, I think they're called the Flag Five, but they're like a very patriotic, uh, like very U.S. based uh, um, collection of superheroes. Okay, well, the Terror kills all of them with a syphilis based. Uh, like disease. I'm sorry. Blinds them, and then he just shoots them all in the head. Uh, Jesus. But, yeah. Oh God, it's fucking brutal. This. So this version of the tick is is. Well, I think they use the f word a few times, so it's not even PG-13. Well, I mean, it's Amazon, so they can get away with that. They shit, do whatever right? the hell they want. It's really good. It's actually really good. So as a kid, Arthur witnesses the murder of his father and his his idols. Uh, oh, and then the terror, to top it off, eats his ice cream. Like, <laughs> he's a complete asshole. So he's fucked up. He's got these psychological issues, and he's convinced that the terror still exists. Because in the storyline, the terror was killed by this other superhero, which we see, like, twice. Mm -hmm. um, he reminds me a little bit of the, uh, uh, what's his name, from um, Mystery Men. You remember the, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was like, the legit superhero, and then there were the the mystery men. Oh, um, like it was the, he was like Captain Fantastic or whatever. Yeah, Mister Mister Fantastic. Yeah, Captain Ama Captain Amazing. Captain Amazing. Yeah. Okay, so there is a superhero that's like Captain Amazing esque. Uh -huh. I can't remember this guy's name. Um, 
anyway, he's not important because he shows up like twice so far. All I'm right. only like five or six episodes in. Um, but he supposedly killed the terror, but Arthur doesn't believe it. Like, oh, but they found his teeth. And he's like, yeah, well, with teeth, you could fake teeth. He's super smart. The terror is evil. Okay, right. right? I don't believe it. I think he's still out there. So he, as an adult now, is tracking down all different er uh, uh, manner of crime cohorts, thinking that the terror is still out there and they're all working for him. Runs into the tick while Arthur is on a stakeout or like a... Um, like a surveillance yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, while he's watching these bad guys. And the tick has crazy powers. Like, he's bulletproof, and he's got super strength, but he's completely dumb, mm -hmm. right? He has no memory of who he is or who he was or anything up until a few days ago. So it's very interesting. he latches on to Arthur because mm -hmm. Arthur's like the first person he meets that he can remember. Mm -hmm. so oh, he has, yeah. interesting. Does so, Arthur have his ridiculous moth costume at this point? Uh, he gets it really early. Uh, okay. But he doesn't want it. He's like, oh, I don't want to do this thing. And he's like, he, he wants nothing to do with it because- for a little while, he actually thinks that the tick is just a figment of his imagination. Oh, okay. Like, he thinks that he's the only one that could see him until his sister is like, no, I could, he's right there. I could totally see him. He's like, fuck. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's actually pretty well put together. Like, I thought for sure it was going to be this ridiculous, kind of like the, the 90s version of the tick, Patrick Warburton, where it was just really, really campy and low budget and supposed to be stupid but there's a legit storyline that's like unfolding here um, and i love it i think it's actually really great well i have some weird news for you oh no what because the creator of the tick the director and producer ben steve odenkirk <laughs> bring it all home steve you son of a bitch ben edland do you recognize that name no you probably wouldn't he produced firefly no way. But then he also created the original 2001 The Tick starring Patrick Warburton. Okay, Patrick Warburton is also listed as a as a producer on the new one. Is he really? Yes. Whoa, okay, so it's just basically a resurgence of the old one? A little bit. I mean, it's obviously not. It's obviously okay. his own thing. I was looking at directors. Two episodes of this new one. Uh -huh. Director, Wally Pfister. No shit, no shit. Yes. Wally Pfister? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, like they stepped this up quite a bit. Hmm. Because they could. I don't know why. But, like, I highly... If you're looking to just kind of chill and zone out for a little bit and watch something that's slightly interesting, and they use words like grok. Huh. The Tick has an amazing vocabulary. It's very interesting. Grok, for those who don't know, is a... It's a Unix command? I know it's a Unix term. It's an old, like, hacker term. What? I mean, it might be. It is. That's where it came from. To grok means to understand. Yes. Which I thought you would appreciate. Where do you know it from? From you. Oh, from me? Yeah, you told I me say what that. Yeah, you use it. You're the only person I know, like, in meat space that uses that word. <laughs> okay, well, this makes sense. It was a word coined by American writer Robert A. Heinlein for in, uh, in, his, uh, in, in the novel Stranger in a Strange Land, which I've heard is actually a very good novel. Congratulations, I never folks. read. Mm. You can now take the SAT and expect a little bit higher result. Yeah, in the pop culture reference section, which doesn't exist, Eric, you clod. It's been forever since I took the SAT. So, and it also didn't matter because I took the ACT as well because I was in the Midwest. I went to art school. I didn't take any of those. Want to talk about Grand Tour now? Yes. Okay. What season are you on? Uh, one. Grand Tour, for those who don't know, is the recreation of a uh, famous uh, pokey little motoring show from the... Uh, from pokey. That's a good word. They refer to it quite often as that on the, sh on the original show. Our pokey little motoring show from uh, UK... Uh, BBC One, whatever. 
uh, called Top Gear that ran for my God, who even knows how many years? Like I think it was twenty one seasons. I think I think I saw like twenty one, twenty four, or something like that in the total. It was crazy high when they finally finished. Of course, the season for them is like a third of a year or a half of a year or something like that. Or oh, that's true. So it's, it's not an, actually it's, like it's not a full years. year. No, but it's it was definitely a long damn time. Yeah, it was really good. Oh, run by uh, Richard Hammond. Um, James was James's last name. May James May and Jeremy Clarkson. Jeremy Clarkson and they're they're the three of them. The their immortal driver, the Stig. The Stig who changed their 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 <laughs> caged racing driver who never took off his helmet, but his his actual identity identity is like famous racers was known throughout the series. Some say he doesn't have a liver, but can metabolize alcohol anyway. And if you looked inside of his shoes. You wouldn't find any toes, but you would find ears. All we know is he's called the Stig. Yes, that Stig. Uh, so there's, okay, Grand Tour. Well, let me back up a little bit. Uh, so Jeremy Clarkson punched a guy. <laughs> you want to get straight into ripping on Clarkson for being an asshole? No, I, well, yes and no. So, okay, this is this is a really, this is a tough thing for me because apparently after a very long day of filming... The crew was promised dinner. What they got at something like 1130 at night was a half eaten old veggie and cheese tray. And I think what they called chips, maybe like French fries. Uh huh. So he got like almost nothing mm -hmm. for a meal, which if you are an actor or any kind of, you know, somebody in the film industry and you are part of a union, you fucking deserve a proper meal i mean yes if you're working insanely long hours it should be assumed you're gonna get fed something passable yes. so understandably he was angry do i think he should have punched the guy no probably not definitely not exercise a tiny bit more discretion apparently he got into words with the producer of that episode and he ended up hitting him um and then he got fired for it so mm -hmm. i don't think that he should be rewarded for punching a person um, however, I do understand why he was angry. If I were to put all that aside, I love the show Top Gear and I love the Grand Tour. Do you? Yes. It's a pretty faithful recreation. The first episode, have you seen it? Yes. Yes, I have. I've, I've seen, uh, the first like four or five episodes of the first season. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of in the same boat. What I love is the very first episode starts with Jeremy Clarkson being dismissed from the BBC building. Like he hands over his key card. Oh, right. And he's fired. <laughs> and then he gets on a plane and goes to Los Angeles. Yeah. Where he starts up the grand tour. Now, I don't think at all it's a coincidence that Top Gear, TG, and Grand Tour, GT. Hmm. Right. They even put that together. Yeah. So they like flip or transpose. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Anyone who knows cars knows about Top Gear. This is one of those shows that existed since 2002 and it's got presence in every corner of the globe. No one doesn't know about the show. Yeah. And if you don't know about the show. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, you're right. You should watch it. Definitely watch the original Top Gear. And I would highly recommend Grand Tour. Which last I checked, part of it, part of Top Gear was still available on American Netflix, to it's, my knowledge. There is some on Canadian Netflix. Cool. But not as much. Um, probably my favorite episode is when they, uh, episode of Top Gear is when they have to make an ambulance oh my for, god for the nhs national health service or whatever yeah yeah it's just a complete shit show 
It's amazing. It's my favorite episode. And that's what they do in that show. They just have all kinds of, they, they are a car show where they discuss cars. They talk about new cars. They and talk then, about old cars. And then they blow some shit up. And then they just go fucking crazy. They do shit where they have to like build an ambulance or make an electric car or try to get a, 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 a car and trailer to go over a ramp and hit a target in the middle of a field. So the Grand Tour, they do less about actual car reviews and more about radical nonsense bullshit. Which I can't blame them for. To be honest, it must be fun just to be able to do nonsense like that. It's got to be amazing. And I bet you anything, Amazon gave them like an almost unlimited budget. Oh, I, w- I would have to say yes. One of my favorite things, though, the new incarnation of this show, the Grand Tour, they they set up a mobile tent where they go from city to city and mm. sometimes country to country. They spent two episodes in Whitby. Do you know where Whitby is? I have not a fucking clue. It's Northern England. Oh, this is where one of the guys is from, right? They're all from North England. Okay. All right. That makes sense. And they spend two episodes in Whitby, which I've been to. They have amazing fish and chips. (laughs) Also, Bram Stoker is buried there. Oh, is that all there is to say about Whitby? So the town has people dressed up like Dracula and vampires all the fucking time. That's a pretty weird thing. Fish and chips... And Dracula. That sounds like a very typical kitschy Northern England, as far as I understand it, from Hot Fuzz and the other Cornetto trilogy movies type of thing to go on. Anyway, it's um, it's it's definitely entertaining. I think they uh, like another episode just dropped recently. Like I got a little update on my phone. There's oh, cool. Like one more season or something available now. Um, I'm, I'm gonna go binge the watch the shit out of that show. And I'm the kind of guy that I kind of know jack shit about cars. Like I don't know much of anything. I could probably say that most everything that I know about cars has come from that show, which probably to my dad and grandfather's chagrin, who were both mechanics. Ooh, I didn't recall any of that stuff. That's a tough one to swallow. That's the thing. It's a very well-made show. And yes, Jeremy Clarkson does have a history of kind of being a yob, as they might put it. And their stuff can be a little bit campy and strange, but it's a very well-made show. And they give such a great dialogue about the subject matter. It almost doesn't matter what the subject matter is. No, absolutely Even not. for someone who doesn't love cars, their adventure episodes when they go to Vietnam and drive a bike, a motorbike across Vietnam, that shit's amazing. Didn't one of them break a collarbone in that episode? Oh yeah, someone was horribly injured. I think it was Jeremy Clarkson. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, not, not to be confused with the episode where he broke his back driving through a brick wall. Did he do that? With a lorry. Oh, I saw that. He sh- And they showed the, the, the x-ray in the show. He's like, it was like a minor, a small minor fracture. He's like, yes, I actually broke my spine doing this. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, oh. I mean, it's awesome. They do all kinds of ridiculous challenges and skits and bits. And some of it's campy and just for fun. But some of it, like, actually feels fairly genuine as far as, like, what they're experiencing. To put it this way, my wife has a very high standard of show and film that she enjoys. She loves Top Gear and now the Grand Tour. Mm-hmm. So it's really a show for everyone. Doesn't matter if you like cars at all or not. Mm-hmm. It's definitely entertaining. It's a fun show. And it's it's good to see a well-made show like that that really just loves to have fun. That's what they clearly wanted to do. <sighs> yeah, so we should probably move on from uh, from this show because I could talk about this show for ages. And uh, I think we've all, we, we've said all that needs to be said about it. Kiefer, do you have anything else that you want to discuss this week? Well, I think we would be reticent in our duties if we didn't at least talk about Star Wars. Yeah, I kind of haven't seen it yet. I kind of haven't either. So we're both going to not talk about it? Oh, shit. Well, I mean, it, it broke box office records. It I mean, broke all sorts of records. My God. Like, no one ex- no one expected this movie to, per- to perform quite as well as it did. I, well, well, I mean, there was one article that I read a little while ago 
where somebody had predicted a number, like an opening box office number so high, someone else had to step in and go, um, actually there aren't enough theaters on the planet to make that possible. <laughs> There's only a certain number of theaters a movie can physically open in, guys. Unless they raise the prices to this astronomical amount that, that it was something like three billion. Like you can't make three billion on an opening week. That can't like I would be it's amazed. No, like that in the world if it ran for years, maybe. But yeah. So anyway, uh, Star Wars: The Ra- The Last Jedi. Spoilers, uh, not to be found in this episode because neither neither of us have seen it. it. We will though, however, do our due diligence. I'm sure very soon. If nothing else, I'm now friends with enough VES members. I should be getting a copy of that for free at some point for VES screeners. Plebeians, you're an asshole. <laughs> I do kind of miss getting screeners. If you're listening and you have the power to send screeners, please let us know. We will totally watch them and then talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so Kiefer, you uh, you have some details about the uh, opening box office numbers. Yeah. I mean, uh, all I know is it made $270 million its opening weekend domestic. Oh. And in its first week, I want to say it pulled down somewhere in the neighborhood of $300 million foreign. God. That is an obscene amount of money. And that, that also beats the first movie. It was not expected to beat the first movie. Uh, sorry, the, uh, the first of the new series, um, Force Awakens. Okay. Another shit title movie. <laughs> it was not expected to beat Force Awakened, which I want to say opened to like 255, 260, something like that. This one this opened out. to $270 million opening God. weekend. And then $300 million opening, or opening, either opening weekend or first week for foreign. That is incredible. That is a stupid amount of money. Wow. That's like the GDP of some small, mm-hmm. like, European nations. I mean, it's not surprising because Disney did go out of their way to make sure this movie opened in as many theaters as possible. I did hear some shady We've shit. We've never really discussed that. This actually happened no. earlier this year. Yeah. We just kind of got off track on a variety of other things. Disney, we're, uh, we're watching you. Yeah, not showing good form, Disney. Disney throwing their weight around. Wasn't it something to do with, with even with small theaters, they were requiring that they show... This film, the uh, the Last Jedi, for a specific amount of time, mm-hmm. and four weeks minimum. Four weeks minimum. So they couldn't even show the film unless they showed it for four weeks in their largest theater. In their largest. Th- okay. So what happens when the theater has only one or two screens? Mm-hmm. They're forced to show that film solely, right? So theater owners are worried. The little guy, they're worried that. They're not going to have revenue for those few weeks because mm-hmm. they're not going to show like the the number of people that are going to come to see that film is going to dwindle. So they either choose between showing the film at all and losing money or not showing the film and showing something else and probably losing money too. Yeah, probably because it, even if a theater makes most of its sales on concessions, popcorn and snacks and drinks like that, yeah. which they do apparently, yeah. if you're showing nothing but Star Wars, if you got one screen and you're right. showing Star Wars for four weeks, they're saying we're not going to get any money. We're not going to have any revenue for that. So yeah, yeah, Disney, you can take your extra 5%. They were also taking a higher percentage of the revenue than usual, right? 65% higher historically than 55%. Granted, every God. every theater system and every d- movie distributor has a different deal. Like, there's yeah. no one way to do it. But yes, higher than normal and a 5% penalty on top of that if they didn't meet their requirements. Wow. That is kind of shitty, Disney. It is. It's just Disney throwing their weight around. Well, I think it's because they know they can. They right? know that. Well, they know they can. And also, at this point, Disney is a large enough corporation. And they yeah. are, and make no mistake, they're not a studio. They are a corporation. They are a large enough corporation that there exists people solely within their infrastructure that do nothing but make money. 
I would be interested to see how many people they employ and compare that to like a national population. Oh, seriously. It's a lot. It's got to be huge. Yeah. I mean, I've had, we, uh, we lived in, in Glendale. Well, you lived in Burbank. I lived in Glendale. There was enough Disney folk around there, much imagine as many Imagineers yeah. that were. So I yeah. met Imagineers at, at industry parties and house parties all the time. Yeah. They talk about massive cruise ship crews and like <laughs> people working at remote facilities and stuff like that. I would love to go to a Disney cruise. Just saying. And this isn't the first time we've seen Disney throwing their weight around this year either. We never reported on this little gem that happened. I want to say it happened in July when the LA Times was actually blocked. I guess it couldn't have been July. It was pretty early. When the LA Times oh. was blocked from screenings of Last Jedi. I do remember that. Mm-hmm. So what happened was the LA Times published an article which cast Disney in a very dictatorial light regarding the way they handle their management of the city of Anaheim, where Disney- The whole city? Well, because Disney land or world? Land. Disneyland is an Anaheim. Thank you, Eric. I've been once. <laughs> um, oh, it's great. You should totally go. Uh, the, total sucker. The LA Times po- published an article that's- sort of exposed ways in which maybe Disney's relationship with the city of Anaheim is not as beneficial, as mutually beneficial as you might imagine. Okay. They cite things like uh, the city of Anaheim building them a large parking garage, the Disney and Friends parking garage, which I believe is leased this, the Disney leases from the city for a dollar a year. What? A dollar a year. Okay. And, this the money that the city could be making upon the taxation and the use of this of this parking facility would be massive. Could pay yeah. for all kinds of public works. That thing you know, fills up every single day. Oh God, yes. The, also, Disney tickets are not taxed. There's no entertainment tax in most cities in California. Any any venue that sells tickets to people for the purpose of entertainment, uh, music venues, I believe, uh, art ex- exhibits, stuff like that, theme parks, they pay a small fee, a small tax for every ticket sold. A couple bucks. How in the world did Disney muscle that deal? A lot of the current legislation comes back to the early 90s when Disney was building its second theme park, which I guess is California Adventure. Oh, yeah. That's considered a second theme park. I don't know, I, I don't know when okay. that was built. Oh, yeah, so they're right across from each other, but they're still part of the same thing. You, so can, you can still buy a ticket for both at the same time. You can, but it's, it's called a park hopper. Sure, okay, all yeah. right. So, um, anyway, yes. So a lot of the legislation that's, that we're dealing with nowadays was sort of reinvigorated in the 1990s when Disney was like, all right, we want to build this expansion to build a more proper theme park with rides and the sort of stuff people go for, roller coasters and scary shit yeah. and house of mirrors, things like that. Um, You've never been, have you? I have been. I did <laughs> I did the Tower of Terror. I did the fucking hurricane that goes zero to 70 in 3.2 feet or whatever. Whatever that thing was. I didn't do flying over California. Castle run and <laughs> less, than 12, less than 12 parsecs. Um, I didn't do the flying over California. I think it was down that day. Uh, not great. I mean, it's okay. It seems but, neat. You know. Yeah. And we didn't stick around for the world of color, the big fireworks show afterwards. Because at that, that point. pretty cool. At that point, we're all full of fry bread and booze. And we're like, let's just fuck out of here before traffic gets crazy. California Adventure is my favorite park because you drink a beer and walk around with it wherever the fuck you want. Mm. It's awesome. Believe anyway. they also have wine tasting there. Anyways, Victoria. apparently a lot of their um, a lot of their contracts were renewed. A lot of their like negotiations started in the 1990s for the reinvigoration of this park, and the city actually gave them a huge break on a lot of things. The city sold them bonds that aren't going to mature for like 40 or so years. So these bonds exist. The city's making absolutely no money off them whatsoever. The ta- uh, they're not getting any tax kickback from tickets. I guess they're hoping that people are going to spend money outside of the park on the city. Yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that's a part of it. I'm sure, well, 
Disney also does go out of their way to work with a few agencies in the city. They do have okay. their own nonprofit organization. And of course, the owners of the nonprofit organization, the ACA, which is run by Disney, have great things to say about it. Okay. The actual city planning council says, if you look at the city for the three blocks surrounding Disneyland, everything is hunky-dory. You get outside that, the city is starting to turn poor. Oh, no. There's, okay. a, there's a huge problem with like, uh, uh, city pensions not being funded for so for people who like say for example ran trash trucks for 30 years and finally retired their pensions can't get properly funded wow. police pensions stuff like that I believe Disney oh. may have taken over the police force as well well Disney has its own security and police force mm -hmm. do you remember there was a riot in Anaheim uh, like five or so years ago I do not it was shut down immediately by Disney police oh yeah like it was amazing you had you had uh, like other areas of LA where things were getting kind of out of hand. And then in, in Anaheim near the park, it was like done mm -hmm. within one night. Mm -hmm. Like it was kind of scary. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. Disney's not going to let that kind of investment go to waste. No way. Okay. So anyway, it just seems like every deal that Disney makes with the city involves some sort of like 30 or 45 year plan. Like, Oh, give us all this money now. And in 45 years, since start coming back to you. But it looks like from what I'm reading, what the LA times wrote about it, a lot of their deals have just been that. The city's like, well, we can't keep giving you 45-year-old deals, exemptions on taxes and things like that. You are the, one of the most powerful corporations in the world. You own yeah. ESPN. Start paying your fucking taxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And That's Disney, in response, has started backing politicians. There are Disney-owned politicians working on the city board. Do they have the Mickey Mouse ears? I wonder. Is it, a, is it a tattoo in the back of their neck? You know those little, like in Blade? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I kind of love that movie, by the way. <laughs> Fucking love Blade. Uh, no, like, uh, that's that's really weird, creepy, and uh, actually not at all surprising. Yeah, they're one of the biggest companies in the world. And one of the city councilors has even said, like, it is... You don't mess with the mouse house. Well, yeah, that's very true. He's like, this is not fair. We're, we are a city council. We are dealing with corporate lawyers with billions, potentially trillions of dollars of backing. So Disney has now, okay, years ago they, they acquired ABC. Mm -hmm. um, they have Marvel. They now have Fox. Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars, which is, I think they, didn't they get all of ILM? Like, like. Yes, actually Lucas required them to buy everything. Yeah. He said the only way you buy it is if you buy it all. Yeah. And so, they bought it and immediately shut down LucasArts. Rest in peace, you beautiful company. No, why did I not know that? You didn't know they shut down LucasArts? No. They canned it immediately. Was With, that the game company? Yeah. The, okay. The, the one that made all the great um, like adventure games. Do you remember the the old uh, Indiana Jones um, and the, the Last Crusade? It was like an 8-bit computer game. Oh, I think I do. I think It was like my favorite yeah. from the early 90s. That's that's a real shame. Yeah, like Monkey Island, Grim Fandango, yeah. Day of the Tentacle, Sam and Max. Sam uh, and Max, dude. Fuck, Sam and Max. Freelance Police. <laughs> Best game <laughs> That's right, ever. that was their thing. Yeah, that was, they they bought out Star Wars completely so and shut LucasArts down like the same week. Uh, Tragic. Okay, so what does that mean for so the newly acquired... Fox Studio, Blue Sky. What do you think is going to happen with that? Well, it's hard to say. For those just catching up, Disney bought Fox. Probably as long as Blue Sky can continue to make profit for Disney, as, as straightforward and obvious as that is, like they'll be kept around. Okay. As long as there's something valuable in what Blue Sky is doing. And Blue Sky has their own way of doing things. They can't, they probably wouldn't even be able to easily take Blue Sky's assets and truck them over to Disney. Disney has their own custom pipeline with their own renderer, which is called, I don't know, something fancy, some 
fancy ray tracer they made for Big Hero Six, and they've been using since then. It's not PR Renderman. No, they're not Renderman anymore. It's their own uh, Hyperion. That's what it's called. Holy shit! Yeah, I've heard of that one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it was new technology they developed that allowed them to actually render Big Hero Six much faster. Okay. Um. So they and Blue Sky. For those who don't know, Blue Sky has a completely custom in-house pipeline, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. I mean, the, all the recruiters make no no secret about the fact that their software is a hundred percent custom. And if you're going to go there, you have to learn how to use their shit. This is usually not so bad. If you've done at least one or two films or other studios, like you can learn something. Oh yeah. Well, sure. Like it's, it more comes down to the actual artists do, doing the work, but that what that means is that they can't just take the ice age characters out of blue sky and chuck them over to Disney and have Disney make those movies. Okay. True. Granted, you How could, hard would it be to recreate a woolly mammoth and a saber-toothed tiger and a snow say, shader? You, you could spend, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand, maybe a million dollars recreating, like look deving the characters as they were. Anyway, what would be a great indication of Blue Sky's longevity is where their box offices are looking right now. And okay. it, wouldn't you know it, but they just came out with a movie this past weekend. I heard about or that. Or not this past, a weekend or two ago, I don't remember. Ferdinand. The movie about the bull. Yeah. And that's all I know about it. <laughs> Granted, I, I, I'm not a good gauge of that because I don't watch commercials or trailers. <laughs> but I also haven't seen it anywhere. I will admit, having cut the cable a long time ago, my only access to advertising is the sides of buses. Yes. So I've not seen it there either, but I did hear that uh, the Metascore or like the, the user... The moviegoer reviews have been better for Ferdinand than The Last Jedi. Have they Have they really? Yeah. Like, if you look on uh, uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I think it's higher than The Last Jedi. That has certainly not been reflected in its box office numbers. Oh, no. Well, I guess that makes sense, right? If you have something that's kind of good but not great and you have, like, a billion people go see it, the box office is going to be amazing, right? If you have something fantastic, but hardly anyone goes to see it, you're not going to make a lot of money. I guess. Well, they certainly didn't either way. They opened to a tepid 19 million. Not great. For a budget of 111. Okay, that's really bad. Pretty bad. If the budget was something like 45, 50... Yeah, but they're not they're not making movies like that. They're not they see they all their software is in-house. All their render farm is custom. So yeah, they can do amazing shit with their renderer, but it's just cheaper to make a movie using someone else's software. It just is, unless you've got a dev team like Pixar or Disney. It's just gonna be cheaper to use Arnold. Wow, I got this totally weird. Uh Ferdinand's tomato meter. Uh tomatometer. Tom tomatometer of uh critics is seventy-one percent and the audience score is forty-three. Ouch. I, yeah, okay. So apparently it's a very pretty movie, probably with a good story and some nice things to say about it. But if the audience doesn't like it, that's where the rubber meets the road, and it really met the road and didn't go anywhere. Also, John Cena is a voice in this movie, I'm just finding out. Yeah, John Cena, the memeish wrestler, the big muscle-bound dude. I don't know much about it besides that. <laughs> is he the bull? I would hope so. Yeah, to compare, uh, Last Jedi got 92% on the tomatometer. Audience score of 53%. Wow, really? That low? Yeah, we should really watch that movie. Yeah, I should get around to it at some point. That's very strange. All my friends who saw it had great things to say about it. Well, that's good. 
Mm. Well, anyways, I it's it's impossible to say what's going to happen for Blue Sky. As far as I know, the deal is actually still pending investigation by the FCC or the FTC or the FDA. Probably not the FDA. <laughs> it takes at least six months, I think. This for is something that big. Yes, this is a confirmation that Disney has accepted the deal. Like, right. Because they were negotiating early this year and Disney actually backed away from the table. They're like, all right, terms are no good. We don't want it. Really? Yeah, and they came back around and they... What does Disney actually get out of this deal? Aside from Spider-Man. S- uh... And like no, the they, they don't series. get Spider Man. No, Spider- oh, that's Sony. S- Spider Man belongs to Sony. Yeah. Okay, but they do get the rest of the X. They get all the X Men. They get the Fantastic Four. Um, they get uh, Fox Searchlight. They get Blue Sky. They get um, oh, they get all of Sony TV. I think, or does Sony TV stay by itself? I have no idea. I think Sony TV is staying by itself, and the director of Sony TV might be moving to Disney to work for TV there. For anyone that's not in this world, this industry, this lifestyle, everything gets its own rights, right? So you can have a radio program. You can sell the rights to a radio show. You could sell the rights to a TV show. You can sell the rights to a film, a feature film. You can sell the rights to a comic book. And they are all going to different people. Or they could, right? So all of this content that Disney has now acquired under Fox... It's there's no telling what they have and what they don't have. Like it's it's, it's going to take a team of lawyers to sift through. Well, it's just basically whatever Fox had. Disney now owns most yeah, but, of. Here but, we go. But how do we even know what that is anymore? Because it's it's well, so complex now. It's not that complex. Uh, the agreement encompasses Fox. Per, this is what Disney has purchased. Uh, the agreement includes Fox's. This is an article from Deadline.com. I'm quoting. Fox's prolific film and television studios, FX and National Geographic cable networks, Fox's regional sports networks, its 39% stake in the UK satellite television provider Sky, wow. its international cable networks, including Star India, and includes one of the most coveted film libraries in the game. Oh, they're just their film libraries in general. So they're acquiring all of their filmic content. So anything owned by Fox prior is now owned by Disney. Fox movies. That's kind of huge. That's a lot. I think mostly because FX has Walker, Texas Ranger <laughs> as part of its library, uh, which if you've not seen is a life changing show. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to get back to your point about everyone owning different things, the reason why Sony can make movies about Spider-Man and Disney can make cartoon series about Spider-Man is because Disney retains the TV rights to Spider-Man while Sony has the film rights. It's such a mess. It is. Ugh. Okay. So now the, the, the great big bubble chart of who owns which slices of the Marvel Universe has just gotten a lot less complicated. As I guess that's true. Um, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I hate the yeah. fucking Marvel combat or Marvel cinematic universe from Disney. Do you really? I don't like hardly any of it. No, oh, no. I make no bones. Name me a good Marvel movie in the past five years. Five years? guess that's going back quite a ways. That's kind of tough. I mean, Iron Man 1 was good. I was going to say Iron Man 1, but that was longer than five Iron Man ago. 2 was good garbage. 3 was terrible. 3 was fucking awful. 3 was an embarrassment of a movie. I mean, what? The Avengers? The Avengers was tepid. It was okay. It was mediocre. It was... There was no plot. It was obvious to me that they were setting up a, a massive franchise. Exactly. It was okay. That's all it was doing. The first Thor movie? Okay. First Thor movie was, was halfway was good. Second Thor movie? Good garbage. So good. Just, just trash the third one hmm? am i allowed to use the word garbage go right ahead go right ahead 
You told me that I couldn't use garbage. Did I tell you that? Yeah, like I could find it was over a G chat. Like there's a date and time stamp to this. You told me I could. Did I say it. it like you can't use that? That's our word. You said you can't fucking use my word. <laughs> the word that I don't even know where I came up with that. If I did, for all I know, it's a fucking Seth MacFarlane thing. Kiefer, how is any of this related to Christmas? It's barely related to Christmas. It's not. Uh, That's the thing. I do want to get off of the Disney topic only because we had one more thing we wanted to talk about. Yes. Some cool shit. Before we close out for the new year, this is our last podcast of 2017. It is. uh, Yes, it is. I should be aware of this. Okay. To change gears at risk of boring the shit out of anyone that's listening. It's been a while since we've done this, so please indulge us. Tech. Nuke. Versus Natron. Yeah, I saw you brought this up. I know nothing about Natron. So Nuke is an industry acclaimed and award-winning compositing software that's been around for fucking ever. By the foundry. By the foundry. Natron is open source. Hmm. And it looks identical to Nuke. (laughs) Does it really? And it's free. It's very interesting because like the very concept of all, like all the math that Nuke is using for most of the baseline stuff you use from day to day as a compositor, adding one image over the top of another, doing color adjustments, those algorithms are very well known. Yeah, it's all like boring math stuff. Yeah, not to mention a lot of standards that Nuke actually uses are open standards now. For example, really? o- OCIO, the the color standard that is used for the color pipeline inside studios. Okay. You know what that stands for? No. Open Color IO. Really? It is a standard of managing color through digital files developed by Sony Imageworks and there's not really any source to it. it I at least I don't think there is. It's just a way of dealing with color. Like this is a standard for dealing with color. Like you, you were an engineer, you know about the, or you were an engineering student, I should say. You should know about the IEEE, the company that the, the uh, International Organization of Standards or whatever it is. They basically define standards for the way things work. I do, and yeah, that sounds yeah. really familiar. That's what the OCIO is. It's an it's an, a standard for dealing with color in a digital way. So like that's an open standard. Okay. Nuke uses it. It's very good. It's very powerful. It's a good thing to have, but that's not proprietary technology. Okay. So anyone can just go to the OCIO GitHub and download the spec sheet on it. I think the big thing for me is that you have a a company that charges thousands of dollars per license versus an open source uh, compositing software that is free for use, Natron, that does very much the same stuff. And... You can either, as a as a private individual who is working freelance, you can choose to pay. I think something like twelve thousand dollars for a personal license, something per quarter or something like that for a floating license for Nuke. I think it's like four thousand uh, dollars per quarter. Oh yeah, it's twelve thousand. Like yeah, yeah, three or four. Per yeah, quarter. Nuke X is like forty eight hundred per quarter. Nuke Some, Standard is like three thousand. Yeah, yeah. It's a fucking Lexus per year to use this software, or you can use Natron which is open source and free to do very much the same thing. And I, what I would love to see is a middle ground. Some software have put out what they call an indie license, indie, where you're just a single individual doing work per contract or as freelance, and you're paying something like $300 a year for a license to use. Maybe it's a limited amount of the, uh, the software package, but you're able to use it legitimately for a living. I could totally do that. I pay for uh, Adobe Creative Cloud. It's something like 50 bucks a month. No problem. I can't do 12,000 a year. There's no justification for that. None. I'm not a studio. 
That's very funny you should mention that because not that long ago, I believe within the past couple of months, the Foundry has announced a new initiative they're embarking upon. Not a whole lot of information is out there right now. What is this? It is called Ilara. Ilara? Il- you're showing me a thing right now. I don't know what this thing is. It's a video. It'll okay. play. Okay. <laughs> Ilara is an entirely cloud-based studio. Okay. So when you subscribe to Alara, which is not, I believe might be available for closed beta for industry people or whatever. Um, I don't think any just Joe Schmo can get into it right now. Uh, Alara, E-L-A-R-A dot I-O. You can find, you can watch a promo video for it there. Okay. It is a cloud-based pipeline for doing VFX and animation post-production that exists entirely on the cloud. It gives you, you sign up for Alara. I was told that the price they're looking at for an, for an introductory rate 300 bucks per month. 300 bucks a month. Gets you access to Nuke, Moto, Houdini, Maya, uh, Blender. Uh, Wait, are those even related? No, they're not. They're totally independent the companies. The Foundry actually has is working with- is, With Autodesk? With Autodesk, yes. Okay. They're working on- the, the Foundry has created this platform to basically let you run an entire VFX pipeline- on the cloud. It's not just software either. They have revision control tools, the tools, they have tracking tools, they have shot management tools, they have libraries in the back end. This is basically an entire VFX studio in a box. For 300 a month. For 300 a month. And yes. it's okay. drop in, drop out. So it's the oh. sort of thing, yeah, you don't have to have it for a full year if you so don't you need So you have like four months worth of a studio for a project. Exactly. And then just, okay. And then you step out of it and, and relinquish your licenses. And it gives you storage. It gives you backups. It gives you render farm access. It gives you cloud storage. What kind of render farm though? Uh, it's, I don't know if they've mentioned that. Okay. But they, you know, considering the fact that it is Foundry, it's probably both GPU and CPU rendering. All in the desert of Vegas. Oh yeah, in whatever crazy fiber optic hooked up service they have. But they've got all kinds of software, all kinds of plugins, and the most important thing there, support. That's huge. You actually have, you are, you are paying money for a service, in this case with Foundry, with a massive pile of developers down in Austin, just all piled in one big building, developing all the time. <laughs> you get the support of a company backing it. So 300 a month, is this a is this a studio site license or is this per person? I uh, I don't know. I, I think that's per person. I don't, that there's no way it would be 300 bucks a month for a studio site That'd license. That'd be incredibly cheap. Yeah, I want to say that that's the sort of license that they would have on an individual basis. Okay. Well, all right. I mean, I guess that's not bad, but I don't need all of that. What happens when I only need Nuke? Right? Like uh, you either pay for an individual license or you fucking use Natron. Yeah. Uh, that's well, exactly yeah, what okay. would happen. Yeah. There's <laughs> the thing is there's not a huge space in the market quite yet for individuals using applications like that. Okay. So they're more after like the small, time small productions. Studios. Yeah. Okay. Small productions, indie users, people who like want to put together a short film project, boutiques, boutiques, stuff yeah. like that. Okay. So it's not filling a hundred percent of the space, but it gets a little bit closer to something that's actually feasible for uh, the individual end user. I guess that's good for, you know, when Disney buys up everything. (laughs) Exactly. Well, you know what? When giants of industry are taking over everything, that just leaves a lot of room in the cracks for small guys. And that's where I live. In the cracks. In the cracks. Eric, can you sign us out? I want to go get some crack. You've been listening to the holiday edition of the film buzz. Email us, podcast at thefilmbuzz.com or find us on Twitter at thefilmbuzz. We can be found on 
iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Facebook, Twitter, Kiefer. Eric. Have a happy holiday. You too. Merry Christmas, motherfucker. Merry Christmas, you beautiful son of a bitch. Thanks for listening. Kiefer, I do have a, uh, a Christmas present here for you. Oh, that's very sweet of you, man. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. For this that. year. For this year? Yeah. As opposed to like, what, as opposed to a Christmas gift for next year? <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, you're not getting one. Metal. Kind of a weird shape. Is this, is that a doorknob? Yes. Kind of like a doorknob. You know, it's a magical doorknob. If you take it and put it on any surface, it immediately becomes a door. Holy shit. To a whole other realm. Can I borrow your bathroom? That one has a doorknob on it. No, no, no. That ain't for the door. It's for me. <laughs> for I, I don't know how you knew this, Eric. My lifelong aspiration of becoming a door. You want to become a door. Yes. I mean, look at me. I'm a huge, grotesque monster. You're going to put the doorknob on yourself to become a door. Well, I was thinking more inside myself for, the, for the maximum potency of, to work. Like, this doorknob should probably be going in my anus. So, I gave you a doorknob that lets you travel to another dimension, and you're instead just going to shove it up your ass. Yeah. I got you something. I got you something too, actually. So uh -huh. it's not much, but here you go. That's so sweet of you. Yeah. Thank you, Kiefer. It's um. A lot of paper here. This is like several things. But... Okay, so we got so we, so we got garlic and a little vial of water and a wooden stake. Thanks. Yes, for Christmas I got your death, you undead bastard. No! <laughs>